Hey, Arc Grind listeners. Uh, I'm here with Dina and Tun, and today we are talking about career development things, something that we know has been on your mind a lot. So we sort of went around and talked about our experience and what success looks like to each one of us. So really, we just had kind of a convoluted philosophical conversation um, in response to what was a perfectly practical question from a ton of you, which is, how do you make a living doing this? How do you make it as an artist? It was, it was easier to answer than what's the meaning of life. So that <laughs> well, both of these are 42. You know that, right? <laughs> yes. Hitchhiker's Guide reference. Very good. Yeah. Most of the practical answers are near the end. So you, if you want to, you could just like skip to that part. Yeah, but you miss you miss the Schopenhauer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Alright guys, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. I'm here with Dina Brodsky and Tan Ming. And today we're gonna address a question that so many people have written in on DMs on Instagram and voicemails and stuff to us about a career in art and strategies on how to make a career in art. And we're not that podcast, so we don't really talk about it much. I know there's a lot of other ones who are like, hey, you know, you can grow your following if you do these things and stuff. And but we're going to take a little time (laughs) to talk about a career. Uh, we're okay. Like, so we're not the podcast that is going to tell you to write down your intent and manifest it by saying it 10 times in front of the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> or have so, some successful guest on and be like, how'd you do it? But it is a question that comes up a lot and it would be nice for us to kind of address it. And I guess the short answer is it, you got to, Find what works for you. And Dina, you made a good point about two two different ways of making it. Could you talk a little bit more about those? Um, I mean, in the half hour conversation we had before pressing the record button, which is hopefully not <laughs> going to be, you know, more informative and interesting than <laughs> uh, once we actually start rolling. So, um, so I feel like that question it has two different meanings, right? And I'm assuming most people mean the latter, but one, you know, one way of like, how do you make it implies like, how do you make it to being wealthy, to being successful, to, I don't know, leading a certain kind of life. Um, But I think the ways that most people who are asking mean it is just how do you make ends meet, right? Like, how do you pay the rent? The kind of people that listen to this podcast, I don't think they're asking us like how to get really, really wealthy Um, or how do you make ends meet while still making art? Right. The, and um, where does happiness come in? Well, does it ever? Does it ever? I mean, look, that's not external. Happiness is you could be you could be happy in any situation due to your mental state. I think it's relevant in the in this context because the question could mean a couple of things, right? Or if they're asking about external values, then there are plenty of advice out there to get there. Uh, including making art. But if it's an internal thing, I think art can get you there uh, more than the other things, possibly. Uh, 
And Marshall, I actually don't think you could be happy in any situation, right? I think you can be happy in a lot of situations um, and that doesn't involve much money. But if you are like, if, if you're so financially struggling that you're thinking about money all the time, right? Um, you're not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to be happy. And if you, I don't know, have kids you don't know how to feed or a dog where you, you know, which you don't know how to pay for dog food for, et cetera. Um, like, like I do think that there's like a basic level of solvency where, you know, below which it causes unhappiness. So money won't make you happier, but it will make you unhappier if you don't have it at all. <laughs> yeah, I know there, there's like studies on that that are like, I forgot the dollar amount, but once you cross a pretty low threshold of sustainability, like whatever you throw on top of that money does not really increase happiness. What you're talking about is chaos. Like if you're living a life just immersed in chaos of day-to-day survival, then yeah, then there's no, then, then you will be pretty discontent there, but I don't feel like that's where our listeners are, are asking either. You know, at that point, you're not really listening to art podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're, we are assuming that um, everybody's coming from a stable position where basic needs are met and they're Internet, asking iPhone and these sorts of things are being met. So you're, you're, yep. I mean, that's a low bar too, but I mean, I think I think I read the question as most people love doing this thing and they want to figure out how to keep doing it without taking so much time away from it. So time away from it would be career other career stuff, you know, keeping things moving and how do you transfer that energy into the art studio so you can spend more time at it. I like to think that it's these are, there's a lot of integrity behind the question rather than just how do I get noticed like Jeff Coons or something like that, you know? Um, you know, I, um, I, I think we might mention that the last four guests that we've had on um, mentioned unprompted uh, that getting a day job would be advisable for you. <laughs> Uh, for anyone to be an artist. And, and these were like, you know, uh, like a range, you know, gallery directors, artists, different kinds of artists, but all of them were like, oh yeah. And uh, get a day job. If um, that's, a, you know, that's my advice. Yeah. I think that's very practical advice. And we are not here to give any advice. We're just kind of having a conversation around the topic. So like the way I see it, there is the dreamer and the realist. And the dreamer is the person that wants to spend as much time in the studio making art as they can. And the realist is the person that has to figure out how to make that happen. Now, some people are in a camp where they can afford to be a dreamer 100% because they have capital that will see them through for the next couple of years. They're well off. They don't have to worry about being a realist. And that's totally fine. Both versions are fine. Um, but I think the majority of our listeners out there are in the more realist camp. Like you do have to still support yourself while keeping the dream alive. And that's always like, a, that's always been the challenge. And I think part of us making the art grind is to talk about these things. So that's why, you know, we're doing this now. And it's the, cha- it's the challenge of 
fine artist. I mean, like look throughout history, none of these people that you see in the museums, you know, barring a few really made a living without a day job or something attached to it. Like it's so, it's historically so difficult, especially if you're doing slow work paintings, like you're not going to get that type of recognition that an artist you, I mean, look, like any of the people we have on the show, they're not household names. Like I could show my brother the podcast feed and he's not going to recognize a single name, you know? And you gotta, so it's not, it's not that type of career, but it is a career that's very rewarding in that you get to be part of a really interesting, vibrant community and you get to work on yourself and your craft constantly. And that's not nothing, but it's an exchange. Like it's a, that's becomes a quite a powerful resource, but you're exchanging a lot of other resources for it. Financial time, you know, a lot of times relationships, all this stuff gets traded for that thing, depending on how, how much you want to go into it, you know? Um, you know, Marshall, you're not correct, by the way, because <laughs> uh, because a lot of the people in museums, all right, so there's like Van Gogh who never sold a single painting, but then there's Da Vinci who sold all of them and who had, you know, patrons. And I think he, you know, like, um, like, like, yeah, like he so grew up well to do as well. I think it's the, it hasn't changed. I mean, you look at anyone i i don't think that they really made these rock star lifetime impacts you know well but but you know there's plenty of there was where plenty of people around for whom art was their day job you're right as in like it might have taken resources to learn how to do art and you know maybe time to go to the right Medici parties and you know like network with the right Borgia lord or other you know that like and that hasn't changed like it still takes resources to either go to art school or spend long enough trying to figure out what it is you're good at and how to make something meaningful you know doing that but there is a version of this where art is your day job it's not always art for exactly for yourself but it's commissions it's you know the yeah um, Full-time artist. What does that mean to you, Dina, and then and Marshall? Getting to make stuff with my hands, whether for myself or for other people. Um, Marshall, how about you? Yeah, I mean that's that's what I am. I paint all day, every day, barring the times I teach at school. So it's just, it's great. It's art all the time, and it's it's a very rewarding life. I love it. Um, I sacrificed a tremendous amount for it. I could be much more successful in a lot of other fields if it's financial that I want. But I, I do think that there's something that I'm willing to give up to be able to paint and think about my paintings all day, you know? Tan, how about you? What does it mean to you? I, I don't think I, could, I would consider myself full-time because in my mind, full-time means I am supporting myself with my craft like i'm supporting myself from my paintings alone which i have never done and i hope to one day so to me that's what it means well that's such a great question though because 
for people listening, like there's an awareness there that maybe what you love or what you want to do is not sustainable. And that's a truth that you would have to reckon with. Like my, if I wanted to do, if I didn't take on commissions and portraits for other things and all that, if I didn't do those things for money and I just did exactly the paintings that I want to do that are in my head, there's no place for those. There would be no market for that. And they wouldn't, they, they certainly wouldn't go on Instagram to, to any audience at all. They wouldn't, they'd be outside most galleries uh, preference. So like, that's a weird thing to reckon with because it's like, well, what do you do with that information? You could do what I do, paint those a lot, sell some of them, uh, paint commissions a lot, sell those all the time. So it's like, what do you, what do you kind of do with that truth? Because at that level, everything's a compromise, you know, you're but still I'm- trying to find time, even though I'm pretty, pretty much full time at this, you know? But on the other hand, you know, so I guess you use the word sacrifice and I've just sort of been thinking about that for the last few minutes. And what I'm realizing is like, I sacrificed nothing, right? I, I think I would have been, I don't think I would have had a more lucrative life doing anything else. I don't have a particularly organized brain. Um, I've always been able to focus on only one thing and that was all, always, you know, painting or drawing. I would have been crap, you know, I would have had to do something but I wouldn't have been good at it. Um, because I wouldn't have been good at it, I probably wouldn't have made much money doing it either. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day who was saying something along the lines of like, felt like it was a choice between having children and having an art career um, or like she would have to sacrifice one for the other. And I was thinking about that too. And I was like, and I was thinking about, well, my kids who, who I adore and who do take a lot of time, but like I sacrificed nothing when I had them either because I had less time as they made me take more advantage of the time I had, but it wasn't like, for me, it was never one or the other. Um, you maybe don't have time to do both quite as intensely as you would like. Like, I feel like maybe I could be a better parent and a better painter, but um, if anything, the kids made me more proactive and sort of like it was a kick in the ass. It's like, well, now you don't have any time and you need a lot more money. So now, you know, now what are you going to do? <laughs> but sacrifice is kind of a weird thing. Like the latter thing, what you're talking about is sacrificing one thing that you want to do, like the paintings for yourself, for something that you probably still quite like doing the commissions, but aren't your exact flavor or maybe aren't your, you know, like, like your personal thing. But do, do you feel like if you were just given all day long to work on your paintings, it, it might drive you completely up the wall being inside your own head that much? I don't know. I, I never would worry about that. I don't think. Um, it does occur to me though, that like, if working on things that you love, it's kind of like if I just wanted to play golf all day, but I didn't really want to play the exact rules of golf, you know, it's like, that would be a bit of a, there wouldn't be much of a place for that type of game either. There's putt you know? putt. <laughs> 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 Let's go to the mini, mini golf course. And <laughs> 
So it's like, I don't know that it, it's, it feels like I got lucky in that way. I never, when I was a kid, I, I liked painting and drawing. I loved it. I never thought it would be a viable career. I kind of fell into it because I love doing it and was going to keep doing it. And there's a real part of me different from you, Dina, that would have been very happy just doing it as a amateur. Like there's something great about that word because it, you know, the roots of amateur is like love of a thing. So the professionals are the ones who make money and the amateurs are the ones who love it, you know? And it's like, that is such in that origins of the vocabulary such a beautiful distinction that feels like you know what it sean cheatham said don't make your hobby your jobby on the thing it's like be an amateur if you love and and so i think for a lot of the listeners it's kind of like almost no matter which way you slice it you're not going to be the professional in the way that you exactly want it to be so just sort of, well, just even sort of make it what you can. Yeah. If you're a professional, that, that doesn't disqualify you from loving what you do, though. But I see your point. I mean, I but but, but I, I love what I do. I love exactly what I love to do a little more. But I don't know if there's ever been an artist who ever got to do exactly what they want to do without, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't, no one on this podcast is doing exactly what they want to do. There's always obligation and stuff involved. Oh, totally. Uh, I think you would be a maniac if you were just like that one weird person. That's all you do. You don't have any friends. You don't (laughs) leave your studio and (laughs) just like die in your studio with the paintbrush in your hand, which, by the way, is like your fantasy. Right, Marshall? I I believe you told me this one time. (laughs) (laughs) That is sort of my fantasy. But even like, I mean, take take like Damien Hirst, like he's not excited about that 50 of the dot painting. He wasn't even excited about the first one. It's just what you have to do to make ends meet. He doesn't need to make ends meet anymore, but you know, he's just making it because he can. All right. But he might be excited about like, so, you know, coming up with the idea for these stupid God awful dots. I hate those dot pinks. He, um, he, but he, he might be excited about like, coming up with that and then setting it into motion like i mean he doesn't do any of them right like but setting something into motion knowing that it's going to be like one step up in like the great road of success that is damien uh, hurst. See, now that's that's where i'd say you're wrong he damien hurst was a kid at one point who loved things and <laughs> The, the the kid looking back is not happy that he has assistants painting dots for him and neither is David Hurst. It's just a stupid life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like, but it's like a compromise. And that's what so many, that's what this art life is. It's sort of like you have these dangling threads. You love to do a certain thing. There's probably not a great market for it. There is a market for something adjacent to it, and you're lucky if you get it, you know? Let's talk about drives, because I think all three of us have completely different drives for why we are doing this. And I think that also is going to determine your strategy of like what you're looking for. 
Hey, t- Tan- Tan, you're assuming that we have a strategy here. <laughs> no, I'm assuming. No, I'm assuming you. We all have different drives here. That's it. I have no idea what your strategies are, <laughs> or if you have any uh, Wait, what? I didn't hear that, Dina. <laughs> I'm just asking if you have a strategy. <laughs> Do I have a strategy? Um, yeah, it's like uh, what's that? Uh, what Hank Stemper said: um, "Accept your lot and swing with all you got." That's my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> All of you who don't know this, which might be um, everyone, because he's quoting something very, very poorly known, but also incredible. Uh, so he's quoting sometimes a great notion by Ken Kesey, which is, if I had to like spend the rest of my life on a desert island with only one book, it would be that book. Uh, um, uh, like, like it's totally brilliant. Um, and Hank so- Stamper is like the badass, like the most badass character I've ever had the pleasure um, of reading about in yeah, literature. A book about a logging operation in Oregon, which doesn't sound like it would be exciting at all. It's a fight between unionized and non-unionized workers and a logging operation in Oregon. And I've never had a book that had me cry that much. Uh, they were they were probably asking career questions as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, So drives, I have a drive, I have a very, I do have an answer to that. I have no strategies, but I've always had a clear drive. I, I just like to, I have a drive to develop myself and my work. And I'm very invested in that time that I get to, to spend at it. I'm usually a little grumpy when that time is taken away from me. Like right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I keep looking over at my painting, actually. Yeah. Thanks for uh, your sacrifice, Marshall. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I like that way of living. That's, those are the choices I've made to live a life that allows me to develop things that I'm interested in way more than is reasonable to ask. I feel extremely lucky for that now. Does that mean I'm rich? No. Does that mean I don't worry about the future? Not at all. But it's it's a very rewarding life. And I would say that for listeners out there who feel like me, you can do that. That's That's not a hard thing to achieve. If you want to be wealthy and famous, I don't know how you're going to get there. <laughs> but... uh, Tan, how about you? What's What's driving you? Well, I think I'm running on like 90% survival mode and like that 10% dreamer mode. And hopefully I'll get that more balanced to 80% dreamer, you know, just living the life that I want to live, which requires a lot of autonomy, freedom of time, and a lot of things I don't currently have. So my strategy is to do whatever it takes until I get to that point, which means I'm using everything available to me. That's what I'm doing. Tan, how does the city fit in there to you? Because you live in the most expensive place on earth. How does that, do you think about that? 
Oh yeah, man! Like every month, when that uh, rent comes due, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> when those bills come in, uh, I'm constantly thinking about that. So that's what I mean. So ninety percent, I'm running on survival mode, right? Like, okay, I'm here, um, and then with that ten percent, I'm trying to do as much of my passion projects as I can, including painting, drawing. Growing this podcast, you know, uh, other video projects, um, just multiple things that are trying to fit into that ten percent of time that I have, mm-hmm. and time is very, very precious because I have a full time job, and I have uh, commissions and other things that I'm doing. So, you know, like maybe I'm only spending like one percent of my time on my like dream, which is like creative painting and you know doing things that i like that has no commercial value at this point i would say but they they kind of make me happy because i'm just expressing myself mm-hmm. what do you what do you guys think about the city in general now like post-covid now median rent in manhattan is five thousand dollars a month like do you think like what we all did kind of move there and get into a great community. It was always expensive, but it was somewhat doable. Now it feels like absolutely undoable. What do you, what do you guys think about that for, for young people? If you're coming in now, uh, you better have massive capital to keep you stabilized unless you are planning on getting a high paying job because you could get in, but staying is a whole other thing, right? No. You know, I I actually think that there's, um, I think the city was always, it was always expensive and high paced and kind of unaffordable. And when you're young, this, you you get this magic thing, right? Um, and um, like you you can risk more because you're not like taking care of either young children, aging parents, et cetera. So you're only taking care of yourself. And I think New York is big enough that there's always sort of like, cracks in the universe that will allow you to see, you know, like, like in the fabric of New York that will allow you to stay if you really, really want to. So now, yeah. what is it, but is it worth it? Because what you're talking about, that window is narrowing minimum wage has not gone up and rent and food has skyrocketed. It's like that gap is so far that it's like, would you have time to paint even a, a significant amount? Well, that depends on if you are well off or if you aren't. And if you hold down a couple multiple jobs and you can't. Right. So going back to like, okay. So two versions, right. You got somebody who's well off, like they have the time to be able to create work and keep making work so that they could get into more shows. If you don't have the time to make the work, then, so let's say you're living outside the city, right? And rent is lower. So in that sense, you could possibly have more time to make work and worry less about making money. But then you don't get the connections that you would get in the city. But, uh, you know, but 
Marshall, do you just like, do you guys remember what it was like being in your early 20s when you can like, like you can put up with conditions that are like much worse than what you're willing to put up with later. And, you know, you, you know, like, you know how to live off like dry ramen and beans. And like, I don't recommend this, by the way, for like, you know, the, uh, um, if you can afford not to do it. But it was all like, I think we just sort of like, I think we're just adults now. And, you know, we need our, I, I don't know. Yeah. Our, like our Wi-Fi and don't want to steal it from the neighbors anymore. And, you know, like we want to live somewhere where we're, you know, like the, I think, they, like where we don't have to like hunt down cockroaches periodically or like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think what, uh, it is, it, it is better for the younger generation to move in right now because they can put up with more shit, right? Like the living situation doesn't have like, quality of living doesn't have to be too high. You could be living with like five different roommates in a closet. And I'm guessing that wouldn't bother you as much as an older version of you would with who has more responsibilities. So in that sense, I think it would be worth it if you're younger at this point that can put up with all of those sacrifices. I mean, I don't know. Like I haven't lived in New York for three years. I actually, I, for a while I missed it enormously and right now like I go for four or five days a month for work and I feel like that's actually enough like I get, I get my fix of the city and then I'm happy to go somewhere where there's like I don't know the air smells like air and like a little bit less like garbage and the um, the, um and and which isn't quite as packed and where it's not you know where I don't have to like get into like a competition to get him like get my kid into the right kind of daycare right but um but but that being said like I, I don't think New York like people have always complained about it being expensive and it always was like I don't think it's fundamentally changed all that much I think we're changing we're just getting older well let's talk about the economic data it has fundamentally changed a lot oh yeah totally let's talk about the uh the art world as it was before and how it is now and like you're saying Marshall it has changed so it may have been worth it because the data proved that it was concentrated here Mm -hmm. in New York City right? Is it still concentrated in New York City? Or could you get the same amount of connections and networking somewhere else? Well, that, we were, that's we were before, your question, right? Yeah, we were before social media. I feel like the city's much less necessary outside of social media, with social media, you know? Like you can meet everybody you want to meet on your iPhone now and that I don't really see the need to, to be in proximity to people. Um, I know some of that's changing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, real quick how it was before the gatekeepers. Tina, this is your yeah. is it, arena. Um, this is my spiel. I don't know. I, I mean, we all kind of like, we're all the same age. We caught a little bit of the tail end of like the ways that we were told the art world was going to work, right? You find a gallery, you know, the gallery, you have a show once every year and a half, you sell out, that's enough, that's enough money to keep going until you get enough work for another show. And um, like, like Marshall, do you, do you remember that? Like it was like when we were probably in our early twenties. Um, yeah, I remember, I, I mean, it, like I said, I felt 
so outside of that because I just, I didn't really see, it was a hobby to me, you know, and I never, I never went to a gallery to meet anyone or hardly went to galleries. It was just like something I loved doing. And one thing led to another and I looked around and I had a career and in some ways I had regrets about that. I was like, wow, it's weird being inside this thing that was fun or outside in some ways. Um, but that, that type of advice, I never got, I never paid attention to or got that because it was always like, I'm just going to paint these things and see what happens, you know? I got the advice and well, in, in grad school, but then, uh, but, but then for a few years after grad school, that was kind of the way my life worked. And I paid off my grad school loans. Like I, I thought I made it by the way, like, like I was, I had that studio assistant job. Um, as a, like, like and most of the money I was making from that was to, you know, was, was to pay off my loans. Uh, and then every money from paintings that sold work was just sort of like extra. And I thought that was it. Like, like I, you know, um, like I'm not sure I was making particularly like good or difficult paintings, but I thought that was, that was what I was working for. And I was actually content with that. Like, like, there's like, all right, make work, the work sells. I have this other job that isn't, you know, isn't taking up too much of my mental space and allows me to keep painting. Uh, like, like what else do you need? Uh, and then when things kind of, you know, when the economy crashed in two, I think by the time it hit me, it was like 2010. I know it crashed earlier, but by the time I realized that nothing that I was doing was selling anymore and that I can't just survive off my one studio assistant job. Now I need, you know, I need more, like more jobs, more freelance stuff more commissions except nobody wants my my paintings anymore because nobody's buying them and and so i kind of went from i felt like i made it very early on like unlike you marshall i think i was never i'm not a fun person so i was never in it for fun <laughs> like that like, <laughs> uh, like 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 it was Wait, you're I, assuming marshall is a fun person i like for me the art thing was always it was more like it was love at first sight. And then after that, it was just like maybe working to retain the attention of this, this lover that I, you know, that feeling of being in love with someone, it's not exactly fun. It's more like an anxiety <laughs> and, well, and a worry the person's going to fall out of love with you. And <laughs> well, what does Schopenhauer say that I love that like life is is dread like he has a real interesting idea about this this duality that you go through you're you're either scared in life scared you're going to lose something and i think we've all all of us have been scared that we're not going to be able to paint as much as we we would like to i think that's a motivating thing and so he says that you, like you were talking about, when you're first in love, it's not very fun because with that love, it's exciting, but you can't have that excitement without fear, fear that it'll go away, fear that you'll mess it up, a treasure that you have that you want to sort of hoard, you know? And then the moment that you get comfortable, he says, that's boredom. It's just like you go, humans have a toggle switch between fear and boredom and all their activities. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's such a funny way to look at it. That sounds about right. 
<laughs> the moment you're you you stop being scared, which people you know therapy is built off this principle, is boy, I'm just grown so complacent with this person, or I just don't look at them the same way. You just stop being scared of losing them, and now you're bored. It's like an instant. That's the most romantic thing I've heard you say, Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) More like you never get to the end or like there's never like the bottom of this. Right. Um, You know who else sounds like he was not much fun at all, much like me? Schopenhauer. <laughs> like, oh, Schopenhauer was no fun. <laughs> how did how, how did Schopenhauer um how did he die? By the way, he lived a long time. He was an old man. <laughs> he was miserable. An old miserable man. He a, yeah, he had a hey, long miserable life. There's hope for me. I'll be around forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I, th- I like the way you were talking about that, Dina, because it made me think like what what drew us to love this thing because i think uh, almost all of us would agree that making it is pursuing a love that you're not ever really going to get bored by like it's in it's it's we're talking about making sacrifices for this thing and living a life to this thing and doing other things in support of it what what drew you guys to painting like what was it that you loved about it you know, it's funny. Um, I, I sometimes complain that I don't have enough time to paint. But if I did have 100% time, like if I had 24 hours to paint, and that's all I did, I would be completely bored out of my mind. Like, I need constant, like, it, I don't know, I need new projects happening all the time. I need to be juggling at least like five different projects to keep me satisfied. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to know that about yourself and like be in accordance because I think that's a reality. Like, why would you paint work on your art in boredom? You know, like, right. I think that's where the careerist aspects come in that are so distasteful to me because there is more boredom linked with those than the other stuff that you could be doing that that are a little intense dina what do you, what do you think what what drew you to it um the thing about love right is uh, it doesn't actually there's no re, there's no logical explanation for it there's just a russian expression which rhymes in russian so it's going to translate like crap into english but it says you know love is evil and you can and you can fall in love with anything, including a goat, or like you know you, you might you might find yourself finding in love with a goat, um, but the, um, but but um, there was there was no reason. It was like I was never that deeply interested in anything, and all of a sudden I found the things that I was deeply interested in, and it just it lasted like it never went away. There's um, I think my problem with it is the opposite of boredom. Like I want to do every part of it. Like, like I want to do more of the things I figured out and kind of learned. Um, so, but I also want to do everything that I don't know of which, of which there's a ton. Right. So, um, so I don't find it more manageable 
as, as, as sort of I learn how to do it better, um, I find it less manageable because instead of being able to concentrate on one thing, I'm like, all right, but now I want to have a miniature painting series and some more tree drawings and also figure out how to do this thing with oil and gold leaf that I heard about one time. That, I don't know. I never felt that way about anything else. Like, I feel like there was never anything else infinite. Uh, but I actually do like what you said, um, what you said earlier, like amateur coming from the word amato, I guess, like, like from mm -hmm. the word like to love. Maybe, maybe I've just remained an amateur, really. Like I'm just like this lucky version of an amateur that can somehow make a living at it. So um, would but, you both consider yourselves romantics? I mean, you keep bringing this up. No. Marshall, do you? No. Probably. I think so. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm I, like what you said about you consider yourself still that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I feel like someone who my outside circumstances don't matter a lot to me. That's why these questions I always sort of check out and we haven't answered them, by the way. Because I think um, I, I do check out at them because it's like, well, where's your heart in this? Like I've done a lot of different jobs. Uh, you know, I had no, I came from zero resources and it's just like pulling things together. I always liked painting. I loved that. Just like you said, Dina, the infinity, the infinity of painting. Like it felt like to put the stroke, the right stroke of color, right where you want is you learn so many things about like science of light and optics and anatomy and various artists and their stories all across the world. So you're learning history. And that was the thing that really would excite me about it. And I felt like I, I don't know if I'm more or less excited by in that concept based on what I'm doing that, you know, to fill gaps in, it's like, if you have that heart, then maybe that's the romantic tone. Like if you have that heart, I could, some, someone actually asked me recently, what if it all goes away? You know, would you be happy working at some other job? If you're, if you're not careful and the balls keep going in the air, I'm like, absolutely. Like I couldn't care less if, if I was doing what I'm doing right now and had another job, it would just be, it's all the same to me because in my head, I'm still thinking of the same stuff and that's the reward, you know? No, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't be happy in, an, in another job. And actually just, just recently I had like, so I have my painting highs, but I, I had like a teaching high. But um, where it was like the tail end of this, um, it, it, like like the sketchbook class I was teaching and the students just like they stayed late. It was like an 8 p.m. class. And this is like well after 10 and people were just talking. And it was like a little group of people that were incredibly excited about the same dorky, non-lucrative, you know, um, like what's the best sketch you know what's what's the best pen out there for you know for drawing like stuff that I was interested in and it felt just like for a moment even if it's people I'll probably probably never see again like I was like okay I kind of like found my tribe and then I was like and this is my job like I can't believe I get to do this for work it's amazing but um but it's because I like and I, I think I got lucky there where what I do for work now is talking about 
the same stuff that I actually get really, really excited about doing, but it doesn't actually make me less excited about doing it. Okay. Uh, it, it, I love doing, that. And doing it doesn't happen that frequently, but doing something else for work, like, like doing something for money where I couldn't just think about sketchbooks or fiddle around with a pen or paint, uh, I think it'd be horrible. I, uh, <laughs> now, I, I want to clarify what I said in case you thought it meant I would no longer be doing art. It, no, I would not be happy no longer doing art, but I don't, it, it, it's, I would always, there's, look, <laughs> hardly, no matter what I'm doing, I could pop into a Zoom meeting you're having, Dean, and we could talk about sketchbooks, and I'd just be, I'd be, I'd enjoy that as much. I'd still be every bit of an artist if I if I had to take a day job for a little bit and pop into those and do art at night. It wouldn't matter. That's what I'm saying. But it would if if that day job took up, you know, like so. It depends on like how much of your like brain and your body that that day job took up, right? So me and Tan and Marshall, so me, I guess me and Tan met in grad school, but um, where we really got to know each other was this job that all three of us had as studio assistants, and um, I actually think that that was the perfect job. That um, like like I know we maybe complained at times when we were there. Um, is that we weren't making our own art, et cetera, but it was three days a week, um, 12 hours a day. And I, but like, like for 12 hours, we could just, you know, like we were still painting, like we we're painting, like we weren't painting our own thing, but we were still painting and we had each other uh, there's maybe 10 of us and we could just talk about art all day long. And like, like for me, that was the perfect day job because it left enough space during the week to do what we wanted to do and to put a body of work together and to just, in my case, at least like get my ship together uh, because it took years of, you know, living in New York, at, like, like after grad school to just get there. Um, yeah. And for me, I had a completely different experience because I had to manage all 10 of you guys. <laughs> yeah, you had to manage. I don't. I don't. That was I that was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, Dita, I agree a hundred percent. And but that's what I'm trying to impart to people listening. That was what I'm talking about. A day job. That was a lot of time. It did not. I was super productive in the studio, even with that. It didn't impinge much. I wouldn't mind going back to that. It's like just kind of keeping yourself in a studio and then getting food with a job. It's not the worst thing in the world while you paint on the side, you know, take something part time, live, live hard like we did, you know. I think the question should be, or maybe as opposed to asking the practical question, it's more like, you know, like, how do you find the thing that you love doing that? How do you find something your heart can follow? Or it's like a more abstract question. And once you find that thing, the practical stuff will work itself out. If you're, if you have decent intelligence, like you will figure it out. Right. So there's all these different paths you can take, but like, how do you keep that one main thing going for as long well, as you I, can? I clarify that a little because even if you don't figure it out, 
you still found a passion and that's beautiful. You know, plenty yep. of people have had great passion for things. I see them in sketch classes all over the city. Older retirees who always loved art had to do a career and they're no less an artist than I am just because they did that. And maybe they didn't have as much time to develop, but who gives a shit? It's all just your passion that matters. And yeah. I think that that's a, as valid as anything else. So those are actually my favorite people to teach. Like, like I have to say, like people who- They're great. Yeah, people who've been waiting their whole life to do, you know, like like to do this thing, and now they finally have a chance. Like, I know their kids are, are are out of the house; they've retired, and they finally have the time. And some of them throw themselves into it with like everything they've got, and um, and actually get better really, really, really quickly. That um, and and I have to say, I kind of enjoy teaching them more than I enjoy uh, teaching people who feel like they're in it to make it. And, and I, I like, and I've definitely taught like a few younger people who are in it, like, as in like, how do I have a career as a money and the status and the stuff. And, and whenever I teach people who are like, I'd say over 60, you never get those. Like you never get people who are entitled. You just have people who are like hardworking and grateful and, and are actually coming at it with the experience of whatever their life has been. And I feel like that kind of makes it more valuable. Yeah. Totally. That's so great, Dina. I think if I had any any clear advice for people listening, it's passions are hard to find. And if you get one, consider yourself lucky. It, you don't have to be in a magazine to be any more or less relevant than anyone. You have passion, try to figure it out. If you don't, not a big deal. You'll just, you'll just keep doing, you'll develop how you can. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, God, nobody knows where, where this path will take you. There are some people who figured it out who are miserable, like Tun said, who get bored by it. What do you, you know, if you get to live on the figuring out is maintaining a passion. What is that bright eyes song? Reasons for living are seldom and few. If you find it, you better stick to it like glue. Hmm. <laughs> like, find yeah. that if you have passion, hold on to it and don't let, you know, what pressures outside or people say their own metrics of success. It's all just bullshit. Like just that's, yeah. that's your ticket. Yeah, but I think, you know, getting back to like the original question, which I feel like we're all doing a pretty good job of getting distracted from, right? <laughs> like, I don't think people are asking, how do you make it because they don't have the passion? It's sort of like, how do you have the passion and not constantly struggle? And do, do you guys remember that Israel Hirschberg interview? <laughs> You're still getting mail about it. Uh, we, we, we are, we are. I still think about it. I still think he's a good artist, right? But part of what it made me realize, like like when he was sort of saying like, why? I don't remember exactly what he said. It made me feel like if right now, if I had to work a full-time job that wasn't art related and, you know, like I'd come home at six, I would sort of like, I would hang out with the kids till, you know, eight or eight thirty. Um, and I'm not sure, like, I think for like a week or two, I might have the energy to paint at night, 
or something. And after that, I'd burn out. And like, you know, and I, I guess his response to that was something like, well, plenty of people have like made it under the circumstances. And what I was thinking is, I, I don't think I'd be one of them. Like, I think I would still be in love. Like, like love isn't enough, right? Like love is enough to make something, you know, to make something work. And passion isn't enough to make something work. I think you need to basically, like, if you do have a day job, try to make sure that it doesn't drain you dry because like real life obligations do you know all the quotidian bullshit you have to take care of in everyday life like the i don't know the health insurance bill that needs to get paid or maybe having to like call the health insurance company and argue about a claim uh and having to buy more dishwashing liquid like all of that stuff will eat you up and and actually just making the time consistently to keep making art is, is hard and having an art-related job really helps. And I feel like that's kind of what all of us have in a way. For our listeners, let's, because um, I, I did have an outline for the practical parts of it. Marshall, you're probably going to check out like right now, but I do <laughs> still want to go over this so that, you know, if, they, if they've made it th- up to here or they've fast forwarded up to this point, let's give them something uh, worth like keep listening to. So, let's kind of break down a couple of different uh, versions, practical paths that they can take that's available because the old art world, the old world is gone. Pre-COVID, that world is never coming back. You could fight against it or you could go with it. Now it has changed, but it's also opened up a lot of new opportunities. So let's stick to that. Like what are the new opportunities that are available for artists um marshall uh, before no, I- this is not a marshall answer I'm, I'm asking you dina like i know some of the answers um so yeah. i'm gonna check out no it's, i literally i see like so we're doing this on zoom so we see each other and i see marshall's eyes glazing over no yep. <laughs> Mar- marshall jones what are some of the so but and by the way i uh you know may it be on records that i do not agree with Tan on like the old world never coming back. Um, I actually think, I think the things that were important, you know, three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, hundred years ago are still true. Like, I don't think we are changing that much. Like we're still looking for connectivity, uh, like, like, and meaning, and we're looking for ways to have a meaningful life. And I, I don't think that's changed much. And if anything, right now, there's more opportunity to do that than there ever has been before, but probably less of a chance of a gallery coming along and saying that they're going to take care of you forever while you just make art, which would still be nice, but I, I feel like that, you know. Um, yeah, so like the old version used to be, okay, so you are in grad school or you're undergrad and some, you know, you somehow get into a gallery because you got picked out And then let's say you are now represented by a gallery and you're kind of set because the gallery will do the majority of the work for you, including marketing, uh, bringing in collectors, selling your work, uh, getting you into uh, bigger shows and your work uh, into museums, et cetera, et cetera. And all you really have to do is focus on making the work, right? That used to be a great way of how this thing used to go. And then it started becoming less of that. The responsibility started ending up on the artists. Like, so the artists now have to market themselves more. Uh, They also have to bring in their own collectors while still giving 50% to the galleries. 
So it has shifted. So even if you get into a gallery, it doesn't mean you're set. That means you still have to keep a day job or multiple jobs to survive while making work for the gallery. And mind you, once you sign a contract, that means you can't do commissions like you used to before because they are restrictions. Like if you sign a contract for the gallery in New York, there might be a case that somebody comes to you from outside, not through the gallery, the gallery will still take a commission. They will still take a cut of whatever you sell, maybe from your studio or for a commission that you make. So these are the things that makes it a lot harder, right? So that's kind of where we're at around 2008, 2010, right, Dina? Um, yeah, you know, so, but, so by the way, I think if you're working with like Gagosian or Pace, this is not the, I, I think they, they take care of the artists just fine. <laughs> right. So um, I'm not talking about uh, blue chip galleries. Like if yeah. you get into one of those, then I guess you're kind of set. Maybe. I, I don't know. We always, assume, we always assume that, you know, once, once you get somewhere you're set, uh, right. but then if you people who are in that place, they actually don't feel like they're set at all. And they'll give you 10 reasons why they aren't. So I, you know how you're talking about dreamers and realists, like, I feel like each of us can be both at any given moment in life. And I spent a good deal of like my, well, you know, my art career, just sort of waiting for something to happen to me, you know, waiting for the gallery or waiting to get discovered. Um, and, and generally that it, it didn't work very well, but I, I just kept feeling like if I worked hard enough, you know, then, then, then it would. And, and I guess like my one bit of advice is like, you get, like, you get nothing if you wait for it. We do have more tools to be able to manage our own career. Um, than we've ever had before. And we as artists have actually more power than we've ever had before, I guess, because of social media. And like social media has a lot of like both ups and downs, but one of the ups is that artists actually have the ability to, to, to have control over their own life. Um, and there's also a lot of jobs out there that you, I think full-time jobs are not as either desirable and they don't come by as frequently as they used to. So I think is it a lot of a lot of places are willing to hire people part time so as to not have to pay some health insurance, but that also gives you the ability to make art. Um, yep. So Marshall looks completely checked out. Marshall, how do you make a living? Why don't you tell people that? Like, like how do you, how, uh, like, like how do you I do think it? Marshall's how do you make still it? on the old model, right? Like the tried but, and tested you know, model. No, I did, I, look, I didn't even know what the old model was. <laughs> I never know the model. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I sell a lot of paintings and I teach here and there. So it's like full-time artist. Um, that's it. Um, yeah. And I guess like I sell paintings and I mostly teach online, which I don't know, which seems easier than, uh, working at a bunch of institutions like, like Marshall's doing, but both messages, like I can, I don't consider it like the teaching, like I thought that I would resent something that wasn't making art. I, I, at first I liked it more than I expected. And then I, you know, like, like I feed off of it a little bit too, like, like not financially, but just like it, it allows me to meet a bunch of different people and a bunch of different artists. Like, like I'm, I've kind of realized, like I'm trying to give people something when I teach, but I'm also like, I'm getting a lot from it, which I didn't expect. Yeah. So, so the teaching model still holds, right? We know a lot of artists um, 
our friends included and well-known artists who are in blue chip galleries that still teach because they have to. So that model still holds true. Um, yeah, people don't realize that pretty much everybody teaches. Yep. You know? But I mean, back to New York City rent, if I had to move right now into the city without being there forever and had to pay that rent moving in with a few teaching jobs and selling paintings, there's no way you can do right. it. Right, exactly. So like the old model is kind of cracking now. Like it's not enough, right? And now what you have is the shift of the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers used to be the galleries, museums, other institutions. And now there are many other opportunities to sidestep it all. And, you know, incomes, social media, Instagram, TikTok. There are definitely uh, cases where people have subverted the old traditional gatekeepers and went around to get back right into the, you know, skip the whole line. So that's the optimistic part of this. Like if you if you want to do this, there are way more opportunities for you to get around the gatekeepers now. And it's going to take more work, but it's there. It's not going to take more work. I think it was a ton of work dealing with traditional gatekeepers. And now, by the way, those traditional gatekeepers haven't really gone away. They're like, still like there. I th- yeah, I think they're still there. Now there's sort of the, like, like in the, the kind of metaverse like like that world beyond the screen. Partially, it's algorithmic gatekeepers. Like the yep. if you can maneuver around an algorithm that allows you to like have an audience, make a living, etc. Um, but partially, I think there's just there's just more of everything. Like there's more of everything. There's more. I don't know. There's brands willing to pay artists more money than they you know ever get paid for paintings just to like videos for TikTok. (laughs) Right. So to be very specific, right. Um, If you are an influencer on TikTok that has like million plus followers, you could get 30 grand for one post, you know, depending on how you negotiate that um, from brands working with you. And you can have multiple versions of this. That's just like one opportunity. Um, but, but there's also like, like, I I don't know. I actually don't, I take it back. It's not more work or less work. I think it was always just a lot of work to do this specific thing and be able to make a living from it. And now there's different ways to do that same amount of work. Well, Um, I would say it's more work because before you didn't have that extra step of documenting what you do, like you just paint it, right. You didn't have to like create a video to like um, document the thing just so you could put it on TikTok or Instagram. And it didn't have to be a very certain type of painting that corporate brands would work with number two. And number one is definitely that the algorithm is going to approve and send through. Like that has, that that is tighter than the gallery system as to the tolerance of those images. That's not true. And, and you typically, that um, I keep telling you this. Just send me like like send me crappy videos and I'll ed- edit them together into something good for you. Like that. <laughs> would you would you agree that it's more democratic uh, democratic though? Is the algorithm more democratic than or? I don't know. It it, it does tend to favor if like like, if like it doesn't a- care if you have a Yale degree. 
right? And, and, um, it tends to favor skill, which is nice. The, like, like, it's just nice to have, you know, anything out there that like, you know, favors something skilled rather than Well, in the context that, of art, uh, in, skill in the, and entertainment. But, but specifically Marshall, who um, doesn't do anything that I tell him to do uh, and then complain. <laughs> Keeper, you know, about algorithmic gatekeepers, like it just send me these videos, Marshall, I'll do it for you. <laughs> you know, the, I, right, I but I do, I do know enough, like no nudes, nothing too weird. Like it's just, it, there are definitely walls up on. It's bullshit. You can be as weird as you want. Um, you just have to like document it in a certain way, which you don't, but I can do it for you. Um <laughs> Um, I, I refuse. I, okay, I refuse to have you specifically complaining about this because, like, because yeah. <laughs> I know nothing about what I'm talking about. No, no, no because you're so because like I can make your you know I can get your stuff past those those algorithmic gatekeepers in a heartbeat. You just have to give me <laughs> right. So, um, so is, let, is, I have a question though, Tom. Is do you think Instagram is as powerful as it was a year ago? Do you think even that sway is eroding and that's that window is narrowing for people. Um, yeah, I think they're a little diluted right now because they are combining Facebook and they're also just trying to catch up with TikTok's algorithm. So the algorithm is still a little like, you know, it's still a little behind. So it's harder to make it on Instagram. What a lot of people are doing is using TikTok's algorithm and transferring the follower base onto Instagram. It's more of like a backstop um, if you know how to do the other thing better. Um, but it's still I, necessary. They're both know. necessary. They, they kind of work in conjunction with each other, I think. Not really. I actually agree with Marshall. I think that because, because Instagram is scrambling, like they're scrambling to basically retain their target demographic, which is a bunch of young young kids, which seems really short sighted because, the, you know, it's adults that actually, you know, like like like, like the adults who like it don't want to see a TikTok style video, right? So in a way, like I I think you know I think if the art world was given a choice, they would all move somewhere without stuff flashing at them all all, all the time, and I think that will probably drive enough of the people people who we like and maybe need um, off of it, or like if there's a choice, but since there's no choice, um, people just end up staying on it. So I, I, I think like it would become less powerful if there was a viable alternative. What about, so are galleries viable? I mean, we're, we're all in galleries. We have access to those. We can do shows. They're great, but it, would that be an advice you'd give someone to try to go to a gallery path right now? No, I mean, unless, unless it's like you say get into Gagosian, in which case, yes. Um, the, okay. Um, galleries are still, there's still a place to get your work seen. And like, I work with two that I like a lot, but um, it, just don't, okay. My advice would be not to put all of your eggs in the gallery basket because it doesn't, at least me, I, I don't know, maybe my work is just not all that sellable or whatever. The way that I make a living is via not being exclusive doing with any one place or doing any one thing. So I do, I do a bunch of stuff. No one is telling me not to work with anyone else. And it works out. If, if I had to like no galleries that I've worked with for probably the last 10 years would be capable of like 
like I would be capable of just making a living without having having to worry about it. So if there if there's like an exclusivity contract for a gallery, um, don't don't do it. Yeah. So um, let's um help help me out with the math, Gina. So let's say you you know the the best ideal version of this. You get a solo show one for one once a year, right? And you make ten works, and you're selling ten works for like five thousand each, and the gallery sells all of them. Right. And let's say because the galleries will take 50%. Right. So now two years worth of work, probably. Right. So you're left with um, 25,000. Right. And on really like like you can't live on it in New York and you can't obviously you can't. Right. So and this is the ideal version. So I don't know if people are going into this doing the math or not, but this is the math. Like, well, now, well here, the math alters if you're selling work for fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. Those right. same works will both, you know, is okay. that very I, different yeah, game. I put, I, you know, so d- depending on, like, a lot of people are dealing with like mid tier galleries, right? Because our most of our listeners are either dealing with, uh, you know, smaller galleries or mid tier galleries. Like the bigger ones, maybe they listen to us, maybe they don't. But I think majority of the people are going to be dealing with like mid-tier galleries. And that's sort of like the price range. It's probably from like 5000 to 10000 at like, I don't know if that would be the top price, but, you know, maybe you can get up to like 30000 on a bigger piece. But again, at the end of the day, even if you sell out all the stuff, you probably just have enough maybe for to last year a year and mind you it also depends on when they pay you you're guessing that all of this is going to get sold and the sh- right after the show and right after the show maybe like a week later you get that check in the mail it doesn't work that way i don't think it does so that's where you're gonna be facing so even if you get into a gallery just keep that in mind right and in, in, in that that's sort of bleak math, but the reality is you could build that show. You could sell things on Instagram while you're doing that. You could, if the gallery lets you, if you're in that contract, they might not let you. Well, at 10 grand, they're not going to put a cap on you. You'll be able to do that. If, you're, if your paintings are five to 10 grand with a gallery, you could do. That's not going to be a stringent contract. And, and you could, at that point, keep some job or whatever. I mean, look, that, that, that sounds a good bit like my year. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of work. It's, it's going to be a show in a year that'll be paid exit. I'm making for myself, basically selling a lot of commissions on the other side, teaching a little bit, selling things on Instagram that might not be as exciting it's still painting it might not be one of my big paintings it'll be in the show and that's you know that's pretty good it could you just got to do a lot of stuff you got to have a lot of and to dina's point you got you got to be good you got to like work at it you know it's hard yep and like it's easier if you don't fight against it right? Like, totally. <laughs> for example, there are people that refuse to create videos and it's like, you're going to lose. 
you know, the, the, these companies don't care if you don't like to do something, you're just going to be off the radar. I, I refuse to make good videos, but I'll put bad ones. At on. least you're making videos. So you're, you're like a quarter way there, like, <laughs> you know, and you're making good work. So that's a but, good start. But I, th I still think, I mean, I, we are getting practical. I do think this is good information for listeners. So I'm, I'm happy about it, but I do want to bring a little romanticism back into it. Your life can be great. If you, my year that I just described is super rewarding because the things I learn in a year of that hard work, even though it's a lot of hands and a lot of pots and all this sort of thing, they're enormous. And I, that is so gratifying, you know, it's like you, you, you sort of, and then you can't wait for the next year where you get to do another show and uh, another thing. And then it's like, wow, I'll get to bring what I learned that year in. And it's like sort of all of our artistic heroes were on that path and their work develops and develops because they're just figuring it out and sticking in it. I mean, it's not, it's not the 401k track. It's not like your giant Roth RIA. And you, you know, it's like, it's a bit of a slog, but the rewards are huge. Well, maybe that's, that's sort of what the art grind is about, right? But, um, it's totally. it, like, it's, it's a bit of a slog with huge rewards. That, and um, I like what Tun said, don't fight it. Just like, Hey, I could, I could know, I could, mature more on this life this track than i think i can i you you it might not be the case for certain people it certainly is the case for me i can mature better on this track than i would if i was a, a banker or something an investment baker like for sure you know the one piece of maybe practical advice that um i think i can give is if you can afford to like not, not mentally, but if you can, you know, like if you don't have anyone to support, right? Like, like you're in a very different place if you have like people depending on you, but if you're young enough where you're not supporting like your kids or your parents, right? Um, then maybe, and, and you do need a day job, then take something um, that's less hours and maybe a little bit like less stable and riskier, like, like maybe, you know, the, like something was like, no health insurance or no benefits or whatever, or no paid vacation. Um, but that allows you to work like three days a week and or four days a week and have the rest of it to yourself. There's people who are not in that boat, um, in which case you take whatever it is that you need to take in order to support whoever is counting on you. But if you can afford to, then um, I like my suggestion is exchange time for money, take something with a little bit less money and maybe less stability, or you get more time because what you can do during that time, I guess the rewards can be completely like out of this world. But, and, and, and what I mean by that is just the reward is like you put a show together, you, you know, you learned something about paintings that you didn't know the year before. Um, like, you know how, like a lot of people who work for Jeff Koons actually stop making their own work. Uh, um, like not all of them, like a few of them still do. And I really, really admire the ones that keep going. But Jeff Coons was like one of those jobs that I applied to back in like after grad school and, um, you know, didn't get it and was very upset because it paid more than, you know, where we ended up and it had health insurance and it had all the stuff. And, but kind of in retrospect, not, not getting that job was one of the best things that happened to me because that would have been 
good money plus overtime plus insurance, um, but no time to do your own thing. And I would have probably stopped. The, um, I believe they call uh, yeah, those uh, golden cuffs, right? Yeah, totally. I, I, I turned that job down like you, Dina, when I, I applied and the other one came up around the same time. And I was like, man, I'm taking the lesser hours, even if it's less pay. I couldn't, I knew enough to know that I could live a little harder with less money than devote that much time to something else. So funny story about the Coons job. Um, When I was at the academy, I was sort of indoctrinated into believing that Coons is evil, right? Like the way the whole thing operated and after I graduated, um, I think I got a job as a bartender and I was calling Jeff Coons like three weeks in a row trying to get that job because reality hit and I had to quickly get off the high horse. So I went from dreamer to realist really quickly and I couldn't afford to do otherwise. Um, so, you know, and I, I'm, I think I'm still there. I'm, you know, just doing whatever it takes. And here's the thing, right? A little bit of motivational thing here. You have enough time to do whatever needs to get done, but that comes with sacrifices, or you could say that comes with, um, you're investing into a better version of you, right? If you got to wake up at like, five or 6 a.m. just so you have like an hour to work on a painting or to sketch do it like no excuses um it's got to be binary you're either doing it or you're not because you always will have excuses life will always throw shit at you despite all that you do it don't complain do the damn thing and you will make it and keep fighting and keep it consistent that's what it takes to be like an artist living in New York. If you can't do that, get out. Like get out of this whole entire thing. Like just stop. Go be a banker. Make some money. I don't know. Do something I else. Was, Todd, I was feeling so motivated till the last two. <laughs> 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 any of us think that we would make more money doing something else like 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 i don't know maybe you guys would but but like like being a banker is really really hard and i, I think being, being a good banker like like getting education and like you know finding enough of finance interesting in order to become really really good at that um i think would be as hard as being a good artist or being being good you know like like do you remember when that's we a good used point to, do you remember when we used to be like why don't we just like sell out? And if we sell out and make this like crappy work that sells, then we'll make, make some money and then, you know, maybe have more time to do our own thing. But like, what makes us think we could sell out? Like that also sounds really hard. <laughs> like, That's like, true. Do you think like, the sell artists like, the, um, like, like, like work any less hard than we do? <laughs> I think the, the good thing about choosing the art artist's life is at the end of this, you, like you won't lose your soul, right? If if you choose a different career path, you might be working as hard or even harder, but at the end of it, you might not be happy because you're working for somebody else. And at least with this, at the end of the day, you know, there's a part where you, you're working towards something, I don't know, something else that 
if you if you do it responsibly i feel like yeah there's a lot of people who lose their souls in art and any other job i i think that's why it's like a a personal quest that that you need to that you should really feel before you do it and you should know that this is something there's so many un, unknown variables in it. You can't really guarantee anything, but if you can guarantee that it's a spot where you yourself will learn and mature and be a better person year two than you were year one, then go for it. Do I you think um, part of it is being introspective? Because a lot of, in other uh, career paths, I don't, I don't think there's, that much introspection happening where when you're making art you you're kind of seeing more of yourself you're thinking um you're trying to figure out who you are as a person which takes a lot more introspection and then what moves you what drives you what what sort of thing that you would like to make um and i think that's fulfilling it's hard uh it's a different battle but it's a worthy battle it's also kind of a luxury, right? Like, like, so it's a, um, like it's a luxury to have that much time to think about whether what we're doing is meaningful or not. The, the, totally. Uh, it, does, it, it, it could be me. It, I think the bar is so low though. If, is it meaningful to you? You can't guarantee meaningfulness to anything outside of that. But if you can find something meaningful to you, then that's beautiful. And, and if you do have a place, whether it's a little meditation in the morning or something to be introspective, like painting affords me, you know, it's like, it's, that's so awesome. It's like, that's worth a, a lot of sacrifice. It doesn't matter what the paintings look like. It doesn't matter if people like them. It doesn't matter if there's part-time jobs. It's like, do you get that space for yourself? I think- you can't control if it's meaningful for somebody else. I think that's like a media term that a lot of artists either use um, irresponsibly or, you know, because they, you want to say that in your blurb, like I'm doing this for, you know, something for something bigger, but really I think a lot of people are just trying to find meaning with all the chaos in their own personal lives. And like, if you, find something that works for you great but it doesn't have to help anybody else that's right and but to sell yourself like you might want to say oh i'm doing this to change the world but you know <laughs> that's 90 percent of the time is bullshit <laughs> i call bullshit on when when people say things like that you know so other thing is like you'll never regret it Right. Like when we're when we're 90 and like us talking about this was like, you know, the people in that magical sketchbook class that I that I kind of want to be friends with now that um, like when we're 90 and looking back on, uh, you know, like looking back on our life, like we're going to regret a few of the things that we've done. Right. We're probably going to regret a ton of the things that we haven't done, um, that, but we're never going to regret like spending that hour with a sketchbook or spending that time trying to figure out how to do this like difficult, beautiful, maybe sort of useless thing, right? You're guaranteed not to regret this specific thing. Like we'll never regret art. Well, Dean, I think that's a good place to leave it. That was a, a nice 
inspirational spot. I hope people find this helpful and stop asking us about careers. <laughs> because we're going to give you more of this. <laughs> a, l- a little more pie in the sky philosophy that does not answer your question. So. Thank you for listening and I hope you got some good painting done while we entertain you and were able to answer your questions in a bit of a roundabout way. If you like what you're hearing, follow and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't done so already. If you're putting together a last-minute resolution for the New Year's, you can add rating our podcast to the list. It'll be the easiest thing you can do, and you get to feel good about it. If you have more questions or just feel like writing to us, you can reach us at artgrindpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on IG at artgrindpodcast. You faithful listeners have the power to help us grow, so please spread the word and bug your friends, coworkers, and family until they subscribe. We'll be back in 2023, kicking the year off with a legendary guest, so stay tuned and have a happy new year. So before I go, I wanted to leave some voice messages from listeners from 2021. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Emma. Uh, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I am an interior design student. Uh, Just finishing up um, my first term of my second year, and I'm binge-watching your or excuse me, binge listening, your episodes while I finish my color theory painting uh, for my final project. And then I will move on to a bathroom project, design project, um, a lakeside cottage design project, and study for my final in textiles. So thank you so much for the great listening and the inspiration to keep on grinding. Hey guys, this is Daniel Gonzalez from Long Beach, California. I've been on a marathon with you guys right now. I I listen to you guys on my runs, literally, and when I'm making art in the studio, you guys are a great company, and it feels like I'm painting uh, again with my friends and buddies, which is something I really miss and I look forward to doing again. You know, there's a certain amount of joy I get when I'm making art with my friends, and you guys have become my friends, so I'm happy to support you guys and keep keep doing what you guys are doing i think it's great again thanks for what you do all right bye hi guys this is jordan clements up in uh, port perry ontario i just listened to your latest episode with sean cheatham i'm hoping i'm saying that right and uh this is the first episode i heard and it was uh, pretty good he's an all right uh sort of guy uh nicholas j thompson up in ottawa told me to give it a listen. He's a sculptor. And uh, right now in my studio, I'm working on a self-portrait uh, bust in clay and, uh, and trying to finish up some last-minute homework for the Academy of Realist Art in Toronto, uh, doing some of the barb drawings. So that's what I got cooking tonight. Uh, okay, thanks again, and have a good night. Bye. Until next time, stay safe and stay on the grind. Oh, you fill your mind.